Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Kitisa, which means when you take, referring to the census, when you take a census, the Torah section covers specifically Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, through chapter 34, verse 35. And we touched on the parallel passages there, talking about the great Mount Carmel confrontation there between Eliyahu and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. They're in 1 Kings chapter 18, section of it. There are verses 1 through 40. And then we also picked up a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And interestingly enough, in the sections that we looked at in the Shabbat Parah readings from Numbers chapter 19 on the red heifer and Ezekiel 36, about touched on the new covenant, the second witness for the new covenant prophecy, and in Hebrews 9, which gives you the great perspective of what the red heifer is all about, what that pattern, that uh, copy of the things in the heavens was really trying to teach, the Hebrews 9 brings that out into really uh, stark contrast as to what was actually going on with all this. So those are the particular sections that we're going to be taking a look at here today. Now, with this, some of the, the key highlights that we have in this particular Torah reading here of Ki Tisa, first of which is the, talks about the census. And the census, also, we're covering the last little bits there, talking about the tabernacle, uh, talking with the details about how the, the basin, the laver is um, designed, how it's constructed, and then also about the anointing oil and what the proportions are, what the components are of the anointing oil, and of the incense. Then also, you see these little passages that are thrown in there a couple of times about the Shabbat, about the Sabbath. And then we see also talking about the two tablets brought down, and then we've got the golden calf. So we really got two tablets versus the golden calf. And then you also see the intercessor with the rod of iron come in. And that is uh, Moses. Moses, when he comes down the mountain, he has a judgment there upon what is going on with the golden calf. And then you see in the midst of this, he goes back up the mountain, and then you see the great um, encounter with the heavenly one called, you know, and he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. So when we take a look under the hood of this about the uh, census, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Sean. Do you have a no, comment I mean, or just? Yeah, I just I, I maybe I miss misheard it. I don't have my Bible with me, but uh, it wasn't one minute he was talking with Moses as a friend does face to face, and then he's asking him to show his glory. So are we talking different images of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing happening? What? Well, what? it's very interesting that you notice that because what you see this little interplay is first he says, first you see the Lord say. I'm not going with you. And then you see the great intercession comes in. 
the the great one who comes in with the um, rod of iron is also now coming in asking for mercy, asking for mercy for the people. So you'll see that picture where the Lord is saying, I'm not going to go with you. But then after the pleading, after the intercession for Moshe, then you see, he says, my presence will go with you. And so you see this picture. Interestingly, we're shown this little vignette of the tent of meeting outside the camp. But then we're going to see the construction of the tent where? In the middle of the camp. So very interesting picture. And we'll see something very similar when we get to the end of the book of Exodus. Because the end of the book of Exodus, we'll see that the tabernacle is built. The presence of the Lord moves in. What does everybody else have to do? Get out. Then you see in Vayikra, or the next book, Leviticus, this is the process for how to approach, how to get back in towards the presence, which is one of the stated goals of heaven is that, yes, he wants people to approach, to draw near, the ones who are far off to be drawn near. But in the, in the case of that, they have to realize who it is that they're dealing with. And we, we see some examples of that in this particular interchange here. So just you know, taking a look about what this, you see this part about the census thrown in there, about having the half shekel um, tax, people call it the temple tax, but really it is a census. You are not counting people, you are counting money. And each one of these contributions is the same. It doesn't matter if you've got a lot of money. It doesn't matter if you have little money. It is measured. Each one is the same. So we get this picture of it that you're not to take a census of people directly. You're not to say that people are just a number. But on the same bit, you see the picture is you are also treated and viewed the same. You're not giving uh, advantage to particular people because of their status, wherever their background is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's no advantage from that. The Lord is seeing them the same. And we'll see that as we move on through the instructions and the laws, uh, statutes, and ordinances throughout the rest of the Torah, that especially when you're talking with justice, the picture that is given is you do not bend justice. You do not bend justice. You don't bend justice based on someone's situation, how much money they have, connections to the judge, etc. No, you don't bend that. Why? Because heaven doesn't do that. Because one of the, the key things we're, we're going through this uh, study of Romans, and that's the one thing that you're getting right from the get-go of first chapter Romans rolling all the way through the letter is that the Lord is not a respecter of persons. There are some that are given a great task, a great responsibility because of their position, but it doesn't give you a um, basically a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't get you out of that if are, your behavior is just reprehensible. Everybody is viewed equally in that regard. So then when you see, uh, yes, Sean, go ahead, please. Sorry. Um, so one thing uh, it seemed odd is 
right all the levites killed three thousand in one day right yes so and then he goes up to the mountain though to receive the commandments thou shalt not kill yes murder yes. right so what the hotel bill yes murder murder is different from killing uh it's a completely different word there um, because the word for murder is basically, and you'll see it spelled out when we get into, especially Deuteronomy. I don't know. We, we have like an outline of Deuteronomy over there, which basically outlines the book of Deuteronomy and a good portion of it from like chapter six onward through like chapter 25, I believe it is, um, basically unpacks each of the Ten Commandments. And you'll see there in the section that's really related to the commandment over, you know, do not murder, you shall not murder, that you'll see the situation of what murder is actually referring to. And that is the cases where we, we have it in current jurisprudence where we say malicious intent. Your idea is to take somebody else down. Now, interestingly enough, coveting and murder are very closely related together because coveting, as we see, and as you see it unpacked throughout the Torah, is that you just not only want somebody else's stuff, that's envy. Coveting is you want someone else's stuff and you want the other person who has the stuff out of the way. So thus, that is why coveting and murder get closely related to that and how gossip slander kind of pulls into that whole thing of murder as well. Yes, uh, Ben and I. Go ahead, please. So on the, uh, in, the, in the Old Covenant, uh, I see that uh, if an enemy, uh, an enemy of God, an enemy of the people of Israel, um, were doing horrible, wicked things, that it seemed to be justified to be able to slay them. I mean, it, we, I see it clearly throughout the scriptures, it seems... It seems justified under the old covenant, you know, the law of Moses to be able to take up a sword, you know, if, if or if people within your own camp are committing adultery, uh, doing horrible acts, uh, abominable acts uh, against the Lord and against one another, that it was right to basically run them through, uh, stone them, take them outside of the camp. Um, I'm looking at the new covenant, the better covenant, and. I'm looking at the, like the Garden of Gethsemane when, you know, Jesus is being taken and, and how Peter hacks off the ear, you know, and, and how the Lord heals his ear. And then in, in a sense, it seems like he kind of wasn't too happy with Peter about that. Um, and I also see that about your enemies, now he's saying that we need to love our enemies. That he said, I, you know, I have heard it said, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Those who despitefully use you, like, don't ask, you know, for it back. Like, if they take from you, and I, I, I think that there's something so critically important about those two covenants and in the, in the distinguishment about, you know, being merciful and long-suffering as Christ is with us and has been and is continually with us to, to go that extra mile with people, to... You know, when people do wrong to us, to forgive them, and when they despitefully use us to continue to pray for them and love them, um, I just, uh, I never really saw that a whole lot, you know, and, and, I, and I, even today, I still hear so many people, like, operating underneath, the, you know, 
this eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, like a vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I just, uh, I have found great peace and rest in just trusting Yeshua HaMashiach and loving my enemies and praying for those who despitefully use me. And when people have abused me, to forgive them and to love them, love them despite, despite of it. And uh, I can say that I've also returned evil for evil or maybe, you know, or went after when I was righteous, I thought in my own mind because of what the old said for me to do. But it never brought me peace to do that. You know, I, I, when I operated there, it didn't bring me, I, did, I didn't rest well, to say the least. So I just uh, wanted to share that because uh, for some reason it seemed important. Yeah. Well, thank you. Now, one thing to um, keep in mind with this is that it's been always the same from one of the, you say, the first covenant to the second one. And the thing is with, with um, we call that vigilantism, completely prohibited. You cannot lash out in of yourself to that. And when it talks about, yes, you did bring up the vengeance is mine, that's very important in that. See, because with what you referred to, the, the spear and taking action and, and going into that particular situation and dealing with that, that was his job. For him to have not done that would have been shirking his responsibility. It is not our job to go vengeance is mine and on to other people around. Now, we do delegate that out to other people. Now, we call that today law enforcement in that today you don't take personal vengeance upon it. You delegate that outward. That has always been the case of it. You know, there, there's been a caricature that's gone around in popular culture for over 20 years. Started out versus you know, with people spending, uh, spreading it around on on email, and then it got around to uh, memes on social media, et cetera, and even ended up on national TV and a TV show where it ta- where it talked about you know, well, if I see my neighbor mowing his lawn on the Sabbath, do I go over and kill him? And that was a caricature saying, well, no, the, the law is backward. How backward is that? Well, the law is very clear what would happen if you did that. You would be executed if you did that because you do not go out and deal with those things in and of themselves. Those are delegated out to the, what we see. We started seeing that in Exodus 18 with the system of judges from the tens people of tens, people of fifties and hundreds and on up into it. You have the system of laws. We have ported that over into our society here in this country and in a lot of countries about the levels of justice. You've got the lower courts and then the courts get higher and higher and higher with, with their responsibility as you go up. And just like what was said to Moshe in chapter 18 of um, Exodus, that, hey, if there's something that's too tough for you, you know, you, take, you kick it up to a higher court. You deal with that as it goes up. So those things have always been the same through. And as far as an eye for an eye, that is what is uh, known in parlance as lex talionis, or basically the law of retaliation. And that practice has been an eye for an eye extrapolated out and caricatured as, well, you know, I hit you, you hit me. No. 
it is a parable of speech that says you do not do more than what was done to you. For example, there are some cultures that say you steal something, you chop off his hand. No. Torah is very clear about that. If you steal something, what do you do? You pay back plus, plus 20% on top of that. So that's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That is the parable of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So the thing of loving your enemies, that is what everybody is supposed to do for that. People took liberties with ideas of lex talionis to say, well, if something has been done to me, I will do it to them. If, what? Yes, Lamech. You see that back in the beginning part of Genesis. You know, I've been hurt, so I'm going to, Revenge sevenfold upon them. Uh, yes, Lorilla. One of the key things that um, I, I, my mother used to call it cherry picking, picking the parts you like of the scripture and leaving the rest, uh, is vengeance is mine, but who said that? Saith the Lord. Mm, that means yes. it's not ours. No, we don't, not. It's not our job. It's his job. Yeah. And however he chooses to do it is not our decision to make. It's his decision to make. And yes. it, it, just, it just blows me away when people say, well, you know, I'd like uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, he hurt my feelings, so therefore I should sock him in the jaw because after yes. all. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's not that's what the, it uh, says. Yeah, do unto others before they do it unto you. No, it doesn't say that whatsoever. Yes. Yes, Alex. Yeah, uh, historically, uh, you know, I know people will say, well, the Old Testament God, the New Testament. But, you know, our civilizations aren't that old, old to begin with. I mean, Hebrew is proto-Canaanite. That was the first written language, other than pictures of crows and stuff from the Egyptians. We didn't even have written laws a few thousand years ago. I mean, they did things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's well, I mean, the culture has the, not been that organized for that long. Yeah, I mean, you the know, Babylonians... Killing, killing a lot of people is not a big deal. Yeah, yeah the know, Babylonians what, what, did have very extensive laws. And, and people have tried to, tried to say, well, you know, the Ten Commandments is just... You basically took the, the laws of Hammurabi and just, just condensed them down and poured them in. But if you compare them side by side, there are some, some big differences. And, and in fact, especially when you talk about eye for an eye... Uh, one of the things, the law of Hammurabi that I don't think anybody in the construction industry would advocate is that if you were an architect and your building fell down, they executed you. If you were a part of a builder in a crew where your building fell down or bridge fell down or whatever, and people died, they executed you. That's completely beyond where you get eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So, yes, uh, Sean. Yeah. Um, so you're going to explain the killing part then, the difference between murder, which I totally understand. Yes. So Correct. The killing part, you're going to explain that part? Well, killing is just the end of life. Now, one of those things is that um, with murder, you are undertaking something with intent. Intent. There is, there is hatred in your heart, and so thus you, you go about it. And that malicious intent part goes into it. The, the killing aspect of it is just ending life. Now that, that ends, that can come with judgment. You know, when, when you see the things related to, as we move into the moving into Canaan, um, 
that is just they are instructed to end life not to go in with malicious intent to end life but to end life because the difference is that the lord says i create and i can destroy i kill and i make alive again because we for us the the cessation of life that is the end of it for us in our perspective just in a human human perspective but with the creator of heaven and earth the ending of life is not a big deal now when life ends we mourn because we and ourselves are finite we mourn but one of the things when you see when you move into um you see the apostolic uh, scriptures where they talk about the people are looking forward to the resurrection you know, you know like when someone dies you say don't mourn like those who have no hope don't mourn like the people who think well he's gone i'm never going to see him again just gone forgotten and no one will remember yet what you see the, the hope of the resurrection is is that when there is death we hope that the one who created life at the very beginning will recreate life as he promised to do and to bring it back around again. Yes, I got lots of hands Sorry, going man. on here. Uh, just one last so, part of that. And yes. it's, it's because of the killing part and the ending the life is we're dealing with demonic spirits in, the, in those cultures right. like that had to end. Is that well, the, right? the, you, you would say malicious spirits. So those things that are acting out of uh, malice, against life because as we started in the beginning with with uh, genesis you've got the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and bad so yes oh, was Pam it pamela online uh, uh, pamela go go ahead please i'm i'm sorry i've got a slightly different screen setup so please go ahead um i want to say if you take vengeance by yourself you're incurring guilt correct so if you want to be guilty of murder, then you do the avenging. And, and so that's why we leave it to God. Correct. Yes. Because I've had this struggle within my soul recently. When you lose a, a friend to murder, then it does make you want to take retribution. Yes. But you have to be controlled, realizing if you do, then you're guilty. Exactly. And that's, that's why when, like, the... Apostle Paul recommends that, hey, if you get defrauded, um, don't try to crush the other person. Just sometimes it's better to just be defrauded. You pursue the things uh, if you can, but if, if it doesn't go your way, just say, okay, it, it will be let it go. Uh, yes, Larry. Oh, you know that <clears throat> Benjamin's mind, say the Lord, is one of those uh, verses that are only half repeated generally. <laughs> yes. It says, vengeance is mine, say the Lord, and, and I will recompense. Yes, and I so will repay. So when you're repay, talking to yes. someone who's, who's really angry and wants to go get revenge for something, you get to, I always try to point that out to them. He didn't say they were going to get away with it. Right. It's just that he's going to make the right decision, and your decision is not likely to be the right one. So let him make the decision, and he'll take care of it for you. Yeah, correct. In fact, but uh, that was actually a part of our reading here today. And actually, it's a part of, you could say, the full name of the Lord, as was revealed there on the mountain, the full name of the Lord. And we'll be getting to that here in just a little bit. 
Yes, fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, indeed. So just one thing to uh, note as we kind of, before we move further into uh, some of the meat of where we're going here today, is we talked about the construction of the basin for washing, the oil that was used for anointing, and for the incense. And these are items that are meant to basically commission the tent of meeting, the tent of the testimony, to get it into operation. And to complete the getting the priesthood, as we'll see in the next reading, how to get them ready to do their job and to move forward. But we see that these things about the basin, about the oil, about the incense, those are really components about washing, about washing away to realize there is, quote, dirt, unquote, dirt that gets involved with you in the world. So when you need to be washed of that when you're coming into the presence of God. And with the oil, oil is, you know, it's a part of where you see in the Bible about empowering because those kings are anointed. The priests are anointed. Those who are given special authority are anointed. The ultimate anointed one, the Mashiach, that's what that name means. It means the one who has been anointed with the oil poured over them. So about empowering, giving the person special special insight. We saw that with the people who were building it, that they were anointed. The Spirit of God anointed them to do the job with the skill, the knowledge, the understanding of what they were doing. And about the incense there is about shrouding and carrying because the incense was the incense altar that was being there in front of the curtain, there in the holy place, right before the veil going into the most holy place of the tabernacle, that this was to in uh, two functions. You had about something, essence of it, sweetness going up. And we see a picture of that in the book of Revelation, that these are the prayers of the saints, the holy ones, especially the ones under the altar who had been martyred, that their prayers were going up. How long, O oh Lord, is this going to go on? And then secondly, you see that in the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, the high priest takes from that altar some of the incense. And then when he goes behind the veil, what does he put up in front of him? The incense, the smoke, the shroud, about more prayers going up from the people. So some very important aspects of that. Now, one of the, the things to uh, touch on here as it kind of goes into a little bit of our Haftarah discussion uh, as we will go into one of the, the big chunks of where we're going here today is to go back and take a look at Exodus 34 verses 6 through 7 where we get, you could, we always talk about the name of the Lord. And, you know, people think, oh, it just refers to, you know, yod hey wow hey or YHWH translated rated like that. But really what we see here is this is the name, the character, what is meant by or what people should think of it. Because anyone can just say a name, pronounce it one way, another way, something like that. But to actually 
explain what the name means. If you have this explanation, someone claiming and just throwing the name of the Holy One around, that doesn't mean anything if it doesn't mean this. And this is where it says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. So there you see the key aspects when we talk about the testimony of the Lord and the tablets of the testimony. What are they communicating? The Lord is revealing his character here. Revealing who he is with this, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, keeping loving kindness, that guarding loving kindness, guarding. Now that word for chesed is loving kindness, so the stuff, concern that endures and is loyal to, even in the midst of a lot of reasons why you shouldn't. And it very interestingly, it follows up, who forgives, and he starts with the worst first, who forgives iniquity. That is the worst level. We always talk about sins, transgressions, iniquities, the three things that are covered on the Day of Atonement, what the Lord covers over. Now, as we get into Leviticus, we'll see that there are offerings for sins and transgressions. They're often talked about the unintentional sins. There are the offerings for that, but there is only one time where anything is done about iniquity, and that is on the Day of Atonement. That is it. That is what is the only way that that iniquity is ever covered and removed. So thus you see that this is what the Lord's character is. And a companion passage that we see from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, or it's actually starting first with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when often called the love chapter, about because uh, you get the a lot of love in there, but this is not just lovey-doveyness, this is agape, which a form of love that's often translated, uh, actually a good way to translate it with the King James Version calls it charity because that gets more at what agape is actually referring to. When we think of charity, what do you think of? Selflessness. And that is really what agape is really getting at. So with that, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, agape is patient. Agape is kind. It's not jealous. Agape does not brag. It's not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. There are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. In another companion passage over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance 
without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And you know the, the Apostle Yaakov kind of gets at that also about a, a sin that leads to death. And this is one where you are not really looking for any sort of covering. It is sorrow because you got caught, not sorrow that you got caught and you don't want to ever be like this again. Because all of us get caught. You see, like in Romans chapter 7, it really brings it out. All of us at some point come up and face headlong into the testimony of the Lord and his character. And we measure ourselves against that. As the Apostle Yaakov says, you know, we look at ourselves against the law like in a mirror. And what do we see? Do we see the character of the Lord in us that he's done in us? Or do we see the slime ball that we used to be? And all of us have come out of that, been delivered from our own Egypt, our own house of bondage, the things that chained us, that kept us from really approaching the presence of God or even wanting to approach the presence of God. So that is the great explanation of the name the character of the lord is compassionate gracious slow to anger abounding in loving kindness that's something that when we talk about well are we being transformed to be like this you know you see uh, often talked about paul's fruits of the spirit lists and you'll see that these lists have a lot to do about this well It'd be no wonder if this is the character of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord is transforming us, then we would become like Him. We would become like the Lord in our character. Our character would start being transformed, become more like that. Uh, yes, Christine, go ahead, please. Hi, Jeff. I don't want to derail us too much, but I always thought of loving kindness uh, in the pictorial of a shepherd's. Cain, right? Mm. A shepherd's hook where um, the king, our father, would come and get us. It's loving kindness, but there's going to be mm. some correction in with it. Is mm. any of that related to this? Oh, yes. I mean, when, okay. when it talks about uh, being, you know, the Apostle Paul says, he's talking about the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. So, that correction is all a part of really what true love is. So when you're saying that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, those parts of us have to get the, as you say, the shepherd's crook there to correct us, to pull us in, because if our hearts, our souls, and our strength are not in that direction, then they need a transformation. That's something we'll get at with the passage that we looked at in Second Corinthians. Yes, uh, Ben and I, go ahead, please. I was just wondering if you could expound a little bit on the verbiage on does not take into account a wrong suffered. I mean, I'm just like, well, if you have somebody depletes your account, robs you, steals from you, People that are professing believers that do these things, like, 
you know, I mean, where, where's the line of justice to where basically you speak up and where's the line where basically you just let it go? Like, I mean, I'm just wondering, I mean, (laughs) well, one of the, one of the things that you're talking about does not take into account is after the accounts are settled, basically we've done the vengeance is yours, Lord. You're not dragging it along with you. If you say that you forgive it, have you actually let it go? Because one of the things that we always have a problem with is when we say, well, I forgive you, do we just keep holding it over the person? Do we still keep it on our books, even though we've, you know, in the accounting parlance, okay, we've cleared that particular month, so to speak, but we keep dragging it back in. We keep keep referencing that account as still being active, even though we've actually cleared it out already. To the best of our abilities, maybe reconcile the situation or bring light to the situation. We do the best on our part for being sons or daughters in the Lord to bring about the truth in that situation. But after we've said our piece, done our best to reconcile to either success or no success, that at that point in juncture, then we walk away. Yeah, because one of the things that you see some examples of that is like between those two letters of Paul in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we all know about that great incident, uh, great uh, reprehensible incident where they had somebody doing reprehensible things in the congregation and they were condoning it. They wouldn't do anything about it. So Paul says, you've got to deal with this, not only for the sake of him, but for you and for the whole everybody watching the situation. Because he says, hey, this is something that even the Gentiles think is reprehensible. So it, it had to be pretty bad, especially in Corinth. As Corinth was a, uh, quite, the, quite the salty town, yes, to, to say the least. But you see that the recommendation was from Paul to cast him out, to deliver him, as he says, over to the adversary that he, in the end, would be saved. And you see in the second letter that reconciliation happening. But when he's welcomed back into the congregation, what do you do about that? Do you still treat him as the person who is doing reprehensible things? No. You say, okay, that's been dealt with. But one of the things that goes along, as we just saw in Exodus chapter 34, is that if you forgiven one do not leave this then remember that it will kind of continue on the lord will continue this on because when the lord discharges it you need to discharge it you see messiah said the same thing you know when you forgive someone you need to forgive and the apostle peter is like how many times 70 times 7, and keep going. Yes, 490 at least. Just keep going. Keep forgiving. But the point is, is that, yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, you're going to fall. But like in Proverbs, it talks about, you know, the righteous man will stumble seven times. But what does he do? Gets back up. And what, just wander around? No. He is led back and desires to go toward the narrow path, back to the ways of the Lord on this. Which gets us to this um, 
passage that we're taking a look at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Now, I'm sure probably you've had people quote various little snippets of this particular uh, chapter to you. You know, for tablets of human hearts versus the tablets of stone, servants of the new covenant, um, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, the ministry of death versus the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness. What had glory and it has no glory. And then the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. So, one of the things that we've seen as we've been going through the Roman study is that Romans is one of the you know, largely considered the one of the last letters, or we could say the compendium letters of taking together some various ideas that Paul has been talking about, especially in letters like Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and bringing those together into a more, uh, you could say, well-structured discussion. And addressing, you'll, you'll see him doing a lot of rhetorical questions in the letter of Romans. You know, you know, is the law sin? May it never be. Questions like that and answers to himself about this. Rabbinical? Oh, yeah, rabbinical technique of, uh, of asking questions. But you can also just say anticipating what the questions are going to be because you've heard enough of them that you would... Um, addressing them and addressing these particular issues because as as you it's commonly seen is that Galatians is a pretty early thing and some even will say that Galatians came before the Jerusalem council that's recorded there in Acts chapter 15 so Acts 15 is addressing some of the things that Paul was addressing in his letter to the congregation of Galatia that he wrote to there so a lot of what he was addressing and the whole thing of uh, do you need to be circumcised to be saved, that's addressed at length in letter to the Romans in a very structured and thought out and um, well-addressed form. Now in this, one of the things to, to take a look at, especially as it relates to our discussion here today as we're going through the Torah reading, Ki Tisa, because in, a, in that particular Torah reading, Moshe is coming down from the mountain with the tablets of the testimony. This is who the Lord is, how you relate to heaven and how you relate to other people. So these are all instructions of what is going on here. Now, tablets on human hearts is used several times throughout the word and a couple of times in Proverbs. An example is this Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, verse 3 says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And later on in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it says, this is in that section they're talking about uh, wisdom and, and the words of the Lord. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye, or your pupil. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. That's the same thing that you see at the end of Deuteronomy, when he's saying, when Moshe is saying to that second generation getting ready to go into the promised land, it says, 
Write these on your heart. Rend your hearts. Have this to be written upon you. Not just somewhere else where you kind of look at them or reference them externally to you, but they are a part of you. They are, when he talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, well, your heart, your mind, the seat of your emotions, the seat of what drives you, what motivates you, is written with this. So thus, your life goes out from that. Those are the principles that you are guided by. And we see also another uh, passage that's uh, written there in uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 17, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1. You know, the sin of Yehuda is written down with an iron stylus and with diamond point is engraved upon the tablet of their heart. So it works both ways. You can either have God's character written upon your heart. It is your principles for how you live. Or you've sucked up all of the sludge from the world around you. That's what's written on your heart. Those are the principles by which you live. So are you, do you have the principles of the way to life, the way that really works in life, that written upon your heart? Those are the principles by which you live? Or is it of the tree of knowledge of good and bad, which is tossed back and forth by every sort of idea that comes along about how to live? Uh, yes, Christine, go ahead, please. So... In Jeremiah, he talked about pouring our his spirit over us so that ah, we yes. will have the power to turn and to walk in those ways. Yes. That our stony heart wouldn't let that happen. Yes. And that it needs the spirit to ignite those, the scroll, the, you know, yeah. And the testimony was written on both the, both sides. So I always pray that let my outsides, when the scrolls open inside of me, let it also be the Torah and the testimony of Yeshua written inside as well as outside on both sides. So it's the spirit that makes us, gives us the power to turn towards Torah. Yeah. Because one of the things about uh, that is good to know, and we saw that from the passage that we just read in Ezekiel chapter 36, and the corollary is over there in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, that is the new covenant prophecy. So when you see it talked about, we saw it in Hebrews chapter 9, and you'll see it elsewhere throughout the apostolic writings, where it talks about the new covenant. This is something that was foretold, foretold that this would be the new covenant that his ways would be written upon your heart. And those would be the things that would endure. Because we, we think about tablets of stone, and they're talking about engraved upon it. We dig up stuff engraved in stone all the time. You go down to Egypt, you see the great temples, and they got stuff engraved in stone on those particular temples down there. They the stellas that they dig up in various places, both in Egypt and throughout Mesopotamia and through the Levant or the, the Holy Land area, they, they find them all over the place. Those things endure. 
the things that were written on stone. Well, what then is the things that you have that are enduring? Are they the character of God that's upon your heart that's enduring? Are these the character of who God is, those things enduring through your life and then into the world around you? Or are they written on something that can be forgotten, discarded, degrading, uh, fall away? Uh, yes, ben, ben and I, please go ahead. I just, uh, I was thinking about, <clears throat> you know, over the years, just uh, people that I've walked with in the Lord and people that have come to the faith is that I see when people are truly regenerated, I mean, literally a new creation, and Yeshua HaMashiach is that they are naturally, I've seen it time and time again, is that they don't violate by the Spirit of the Lord in them is that them loving him and seeking him, some of them that I've met even from other countries is that some of them don't even have what we have here, the richness of the word, everything is that they don't violate the word. I mean, because they're a new creation. I mean, they may not have everything that we have in the word and, and all the knowledge and all the understanding, but they have a love for the truth of God. And I've, I've seen it. And then I've seen, I've also seen people that, you know, study, 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 and they have this, all this head knowledge, but their, their hearts are stone. And they're like, you know, one drags somebody out in adultery and stoner. Like, you know, they're just harsh. Yes. You know, they have no mercy. They have no grace. They have no spirit. <laughs> they have no spirit. I mean, seriously, and, and if they do have a spirit, it's not the spirit of Yeshua Mashiach. You know, I just, you know, I just, I thought that that was so critically important, you know, just to bring that up is that, you know, we have to be a new creation in Christ. We have yep. to be walking in that new covenant relationship. We have to have that. It's so critically important. I just, I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, about the, it goes back to that parable that Yeshua told about the log in your own eye. If you want to see you know, the splinter in someone else, you need to deal with the log in your own eye first and realize that you have a log in your own eye. <laughs> yes. Uh, Larry, do you have a, a comment or a question? I was just thinking about the uh, that juxtaposition of the things that are written on stone mm. and their endurance. Yes. A lot of those things, they endure, but nobody knows what they mean anymore. Yes. And they have to have special training, and who knows if they're right. Whereas when he's going to put it, it's going to put it on human hearts, which are really very soft. Yeah. So it's an interesting uh, difference between yes. what's yeah. really enduring. Be, be careful about what you put into things that will endure, whether you want them to endure or not. <laughs> yes. Uh, and go ahead, please. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and think about the people when they totally forgot God and built the calf or had the calf the calf just popped out of the out of the the gold or whatever, the pile of gold that, that they had assembled and yet God pardoned them after Moses spoke to him and that uh, I was thinking of pardoning iniquity and um transgressions and and sin and um and Thinking that maybe this particular point when that happened was actually the same day as Yom Kippur, is that possible? I mean, you know, oh, it, day, is, it, is, it is a very interesting thought when you think about the the forty days, and I have to, I have to take a look at that again. I, a long time ago, I'd taken a look at what that timeline is, but when you see the forty days previously and the forty days again, yeah, you're getting you're getting kind of close to that time frame. 
That's an interesting point. Yeah. Uh, yes, Alex, go ahead, please. Having it written on our heart really leaves the door open for everybody. Um, we've fallen, as you said earlier, seven times, whatever, and we'll fall again probably. That, that tells you that that lonely person, that you've got to keep an eye out, he's me, um, that keeps us there. That, that allows that to stay open. We're not, we're not in some exalted place. Uh, because that's so important. God, Jesus, you know, left the 99 behind going out to get that one. That's right. Amen. Amen on that. All right, so we'll wrap things up there. Any last uh, thoughts? Close things out? Uh, yes, Ben and I, please go ahead. I'm find the verse right now, but about, about the eyes. There's a verse about the eyes that if your eye is single. Ah, Yes. You know, Your eye is clear, yes. Yeah, you know, but, it, but if it's full of darkness, how great is that darkness? Right. Yeah, and that's uh, an idiom that you see referred to related to your, uh, we were talking about charity earlier. That's your agape. How is your agape love? Is it, is it clear? Yes. Do you actually see with um, selflessness? Yes, amen. But if that eye that you have to see with selflessness is dark, yeah. <laughs> It's terrible. What help are you in the world? Because you know you are you are a part of the kingdom of God, which is all about selflessness to the world. I mean, the ultimate selflessness that you have the Son of God coming here and being the ultimate, the ultimate Yom Kippur, the ultimate red heifer, the ultimate cleansing or sins, transgressions, and iniquities. If heaven can do that, then our eye of charity, our eye of agape for the world has to be clear. Because if it's darkened and we don't see, then uh, we are a terrible servant. And that is a, a part that we need to, as it says, uh, circumcise your hearts. That's a part that needs to go. Yeah, uh, good, good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yes, Tammy. Maybe, maybe one thing to think about in terms of taking the log of, out of one's own eye versus the, the splinter in someone else is the type of operation one needs to do. If you have a large object stuck somewhere, like let's say an arrow or something, you just pull it out. But if you're looking at a splinter, that's a delicate procedure. You know, like if Victor had a little splinter here, I wouldn't cut off his thumb, Right. It's a delicate procedure. You get a pair of tweezers and you put some salve on it or whatever. You maybe put some warm palm press on it and you're very careful. Especially if it's in your want, eye. Especially <laughs> if it's in the eye. But even if it's not in the eye, even if it's on the hand or something, because you don't want to amputate, right? You yeah. don't want to cause, you don't want to make the situation worse. Take a splinter and then <gasps> make it become infected and gangrene. And then what are you going to do? You got to amputate. So I just think of that in terms of how careful you have to be when you're so worried about someone else's sins and not looking at your own first. You know, you have to be delicate with that. Yes, when we go to our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yes, be, be in the love. Oh, I'm sorry, Pamela, you, you have your hand up again. I, I, I apologize. I thought it was up from before. Uh, please go ahead. Okay, what about... Um or Exodus 37, when you talk about the characteristics of God, that it is by no means leaving unpunished, setting the crookedness of the fathers upon the children, 
and kill their children to the third and fourth generation. Right. So the question is, is, well, how do you break that? And there's examples of that in the word where people broke the chain. You think of, when he talks about going in, wiping out the people in the land. We learn about one group of people, we call them the Kenites, or the people of Ken. And those were people we read about last time around, when we were, those the readings related to uh, Purim, and those related to going after Amalek. And they're saying, hey, you, you people of Ken, you live amongst Amalek, but get out. Kind of like a lot situation. Get out because the judgment upon how reprehensible Amalek is is coming down upon them. So you see who, just like Rahab did there in Jericho, you see who the true um, way to go is. Go with the Lord. So get out from among Amalek. So they broke the chain that was coming down like a really big ton of bricks upon Canaan and the land, and they weren't a part of that. They grafted in to a new and attached to a new lineage in Israel. Uh, yes, uh, Christine. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, Sam. Go ahead, please. Uh, um, uh, this is in um, Exodus uh, chapter 33. Yes. Uh, uh, fast 44 to 6. Uh, he said, When the people had the disastrous word, the mourn, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord has said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are stiff necked people. If yes. you are a single moment, I should go up among you. I will consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. Yes. So when I was reading this this morning, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I get confused. Like, okay, do they bury all their ornaments uh, the Arab, or do they just took it off for a moment for kind of like, you know, a sign of money, like, you know, the day, you know, like Yom Kippur kind of thing. Is that what is happening here? And another thing that, you know, came to me is how much faithful, you know, God is in blessing us, that he blessed the children of Israel. This is in the wilderness, if we look at this thing. Uh, they've given the bangles, the ornament to build the, you know, the Mishkan. And now they use so much ornament gold to build the golden calf. And they still have some ornaments on them. So I'm like, okay, is God trying to tell them so that, you know, the blessing that I bless you, that now you are misusing those blessings? I'm stripping them off temporarily so that you can learn the lesson. Yeah. And I kind of looking at myself as, okay, if, you know, because the one God loves, he disciplines. Right. And I felt like, okay, sometimes maybe I've misused God's blessings that, you know, sometimes when I find myself in the place of want and lack, maybe because God is telling me, when I bless you that much, you misuse it. So I'm stripping it off 
temporarily because uh, I look at it as a father, you know, my, my children, when I give them things and they misuse them, I, I take it away from them temporarily. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I don't love them, but I want them to learn the lesson. So and in, in this first now, I was thinking, is that what God is trying to tell the children of Israel, taking that away from them? temporarily so that he, he wants to see how remorseful they are so you yes. know, uh, yeah well one of the things that um with with these sometimes with you don't have an a very precise time marker in the word it can be sometimes difficult to see which um place it comes into but one of the things we'll see in the next torah section is that Perhaps what you see in the response of the people after this with the actual construction of the Mishkan, that it may be a response to the mercy that they had been shown after the golden calf incident. Because you see that one of the great kind of things that are juxtaposed here is 3,000 faced judgment there at the golden calf. We read in Acts chapter 2, at that particular Shavuot, 3,000 said, uh, no, we repent from having missed the one that the Mashiach has indeed come. So those that before did not see who the anointed was there at Sinai, they did not see what that was, and they went after the calf. At Pentecost, at that Shavuot, the outpouring of the Spirit, they do see, hey, the anointed indeed has come, and that this indeed is what is really going to save us. And the real route of salvation is down there, and our real connection into the kingdom of God. So that, that perhaps is what we see with the actual construction of the tabernacle that is a heart response of being forgiven for the golden calf and this change and it's interesting the 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 hebrew phrase that it said that the lord uh repented or relented it's a form of nacham meaning that he comforted he comforted israel he it's like in a in a verb form he comforted the lord comforted by saying, I will send my presence with you. I will send my presence with you. Which, a prefiguring is, what is the ultimate presence of the Lord being sent with us? The Mashiach. That is the tabernacle made flesh. That the tabernacle is dwelling amongst us. And so that then is a great a outpouring of what, what, the, what the character of God is is shown to us in this and prefigured there at sinai and shown in great stature there at uh shavuot pentecost in acts recorded in acts chapter two so yes uh ben and i uh, go ahead please i was wondering uh about how the temple used to be constructed and how there was the ark and then how you had the lampstand and then how you had the washing, and then how you had the altar. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at us and about how 
uh, now it's to be written on our hearts and how that we're a temple and how basically that uh, our eyes and the lamps, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, and about, you know, that I'm wondering about those things, you know, about, you know, the work that God is doing, like, who's enthroned in our heart like is is the art like our heart like is is he is his habitation now within our innermost being like our heart is 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 he our habitation like the ark of the covenant was you know how the the habitation for you know the lord the in the inner the holy of holies you know is is that the work that's going on now inside of us you know where the the all those different things that we see in the temple. And if we are now the temple of the Lord and we are a new creation in Yeshua HaMashiach, and he is our great high priest and he's our intercessor and our mediator, um, I, I don't really know all of it. I just am wondering, I'm, I'm looking at that, the parallels of that. So what then is in the, um, the arc of the testimony of the pattern of the sanctuary of God within us? What is in there? Yes. What are on those tablets? Hopefully they're not like the tablets that the prophet Yumeriahu was writing about. We don't want that written on the tablets that are deep inside us. Rather, we want the finger of God, his character, his principles to be written on what is deep inside of us. Yes. No, thank you. Uh, Pat, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, this is going back to chapter 32. Yes. I have struggled with where Aaron participated in and you know, gathered the gold and supposedly also used a tool to help make the golden calf. And then after it was made, made a altar before it, and yet he went on to become the high priest. And I, I guess I'm wondering how or why some of the people were killed, and, and yet there seemed to be no discipline for Aaron. Yes. Well, you, you might, uh, people have wondered that too. And one explanation that is just that he was um, punished with the priesthood. You might say that's a pretty a weird way to put that. But if you look at what their role is and all of their restrictions on everything, is basically they are the bondservant of the Lord for your whole life. It is a life sentence in there. So, in one sense, you might say the great uh, mercy that was shown to him, but then what he was that, okay, you've been shown mercy, now you show mercy. And you see later on that he runs in the middle of a plague and with the incense there to bring, you know, really the prayers of those that are dying to say, hey, have mercy upon us. So, yeah, we got to uh, wrap up here today. Any last uh, thoughts? Uh, yes, uh, Christine, please. Oh, um, I don't have the scripture in front of me, but the Levites slaughter carried out the uh, yeah, end of life, those, yeah, right? Yeah, those are some there that right? carrying out the judgment, yes. Carrying out the judgment. And then did um, the mighty one also smite them? Yeah, you see, you see something of, of that regard when it talks about that the Lord smited them. So some have wondered, well, is this something different? But you wonder, well, where in the 3,000 does that come in? But one way to look at it is that the Lord's smiting of them was 
saying, hey, Levites, you do this. So that could be one way to put it, or it could be some other separate way. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.